Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hey, yo. And welcome to ESSR Central. Uh, I am Scott McLeod, not the McLeod you're used to hearing on ESSR Central. I'm stepping in this week on the supposed A show because the host of the show is galloping off to some hotel because he, quote, had a voucher which was, quote, about to expire. <laughs> it's just excuses from that point. But yes, I'm, I'm stepping in on a, you know, a bit of a sombre week in the, the world of wrestling for, for reasons we are going to get into. But, you know, I'm joined, the man who's joined me today, the two of us can be considered, you know, the outsiders of the SSR and that we are stuck outside while everyone else is inside enjoying their lives while we're here recording Central. Uh, please welcome my co-host today, David Hockney. Hey, yo, how's it going? <laughs> oh. Yeah, neither of us are Hall or Nash when it comes to, like, ESSR. But you know what? In in all fairness, if there was a voucher to be used for a hotel visit, I mean, I would have done the exact same thing. So I've got no no gripes about that. Yeah. I mean, none of us have used such a flimsy excuse to miss a sort of Saturday draft live, but, you know, um, I'm not going to dwell on that. Saturday Draft Live is one of the many shows you can find on the SSR back catalogue on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts on every Saturday, obviously. And you can also catch our feature shows every Tuesday, this show every Thursday or sometimes a different day, depending on what Ross's so important schedule is like. Also, occasional episodes of East Meets West, we do that whenever we we can. Uh, And also, we've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Eat Sleeps, the place we tweet. Uh, you get shows there like Book It and Quiz Showdown. Uh, next week, the latest Quiz Showdown is being recorded. Quiz Showdown 20. Yes, there's been 20 of the bastards. <laughs> Quiz Showdown 20, when duels do battle, I believe is the, the title of that. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting affair. I can, it'll, it'll be an interesting one, no doubt. So yeah, as the... NWOB team to be more accurate rather than the outsiders or the Wolfpack when it comes to me and David. Uh, you, you're definitely the Vincent here. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, we'll go into... We can't really start with any other story. It is a bit of a sombre note to, to really start on mm. uh, the show. Uh, a few days ago, we, heard that we found out that Scott Hall was now on life support because of complications due to surgery, which led to him suffering three heart attacks and uh, the health and whether or not he'd pull through was very much in doubt. And then and a very long and uh, a heart-tugging uh, tribute from Kevin Ash, he revealed that he'd been told that once Hall's family were in order, that he would be taken off the life support. Uh, we then found out that Hall was actually stayed alive a few, for quite a few hours after he was taken off life support, but... Sadly, it was confirmed before this is Raw was starting that Scott Hall passed away at the age of 63. And we're going to talk about him again towards the end of the show because uh, in place of Goat's question, we have got some uh, some people giving us their, their memories of Scott Hall, but we're just going to have a bit of a back and forth about Scott Hall just to start off the show. Mm. I, I don't know about you, David, but personally, you know, the 
even though I, I didn't really see Skull for the first time until I remember Mania 18 when he came back and had that match with Austin, one of the best stunner cells of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's not the best period to be introduced to Scott Hall, but I've I went back since over the years seeing stuff in and WCW stuff as Razor Ramon and things like that. And there's been some very notable notable wrestler death the last few years, but I don't think a wrestler's death has personally like stung me as as much as it did when when it really set in that Scott Hall had passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a. As you said, it's a very somber topic, given that, you know, he's he's had his health issues, he's had his demons in the past, but he always seemed to bounce back. So I think even when he was taken off live support, I think there was deep down there was that little bit of what if, what can he bounce back again? But I think given the state he was in, you know, three heart attacks following a botched surgery, uh, I mean, that was quite a... What a big obstacle to overcome. And 63 years old as well. It's still still relatively young, all things considered. So it's um yeah, quite a well, I think when the when the posts came out, you know, saying that he was getting take off life support, I think everybody was prepared for it. Like it wasn't as sudden as compared to like maybe other deaths, but none it's doesn't take away how how tragic it was. Yeah, it was kind of we're all kind of collectively like preparing ourselves for not for the worst. And considering the era that Scott Hall came up in, where there were quite a few notable wrestler deaths, uh, like passing away in like their early thirties, like most notably a, a close friend of Scott Hall's, Kurt Henning, passing away very young, and others like Rick Rude and the Bulldog. It, it's it's a, it is something that he managed to you know go to sixty three and especially. You know, it's a bit heartwarming that you know, over his life before the end he managed to you know conquer the demons that he struggled with for a long time with the also the help from people like Diamond Dallas Page and you know something that's been quoted a lot uh, over in many people's tributes is that you know the line that he gave in his Hall of Fame induction in 2014 you know bad times don't last but bad guys do. If that doesn't end up on his uh, gravestone, then I don't know what will because that is a very very memorable quote to go by, especially for somebody who was known as the bad guy, Razor Ramon. And it does kind of it takes on another means in that, you know, he may no longer be with us, but, you know, the memory of him as a wrestler and the things he's done for people close to him and the memories he gave us as fans, you know, will we'll always live on, you know, a two-time Hall of Famer, uh, multiple-time champion, no credited with one of the most influential groups in wrestling history. And, I've watched quite a bit of new gen uh, stuff like 95, 96, even some 94 stuff in the last few years. Uh, and it always, you know, baffled me. Just like he was somebody at that period who was just always over because, you know, he was he, his character, even though that era was very cartoony, he was just so, like, cool. Like, even though he was playing a, a character, like he was putting on an accent, he would, you could still see a lot of the real guy in there. Yeah, for real. And am I right in saying he was on the very first segment of Monday Night Raw in January 1993, where he was interviewed by Vince McMahon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he made his debut in like late 92. I mm. think his debut match is actually available like on WWE YouTube for free if you want to go watch it. So, yeah, I've seen that tweet about that he was in one of the first segments. And speaking of Monday Night Raw, the first segment of this Raw was Kevin Owens starting off his promo with a hey yo as a tribute to to Razor Ramon. 
Mm. Yeah, I think everybody sort of paid tribute to them in their own way. Like the outpouring of uh, like superstars and fans on social media was was really great. You know, I mean, people just getting to hang out with them backstage. People got to see them at meet and greets. I mean, you know, on screen, you know, he portrayed himself as like the bad guy, but I think backstage he was a really sound sound guy overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And one of the best tributes, I think, yeah, we're, it's one a story we already heard about, but it was brought up again in late of his passing day, the story with Matt Cardona. Uh, after he won the Aircon, he'll tell you that WrestleMania 32 Razor was uh, backstage. Mm-hmm. And it, Cardona told the story of a sign he went to when he was 10 years old. He met Razor while he was Intercontinental Champion. And he took a photo and Matt Cardona got to hold the Intercontinental title. So then they took a photo together now with Hall. It was the other way around. Cardona, yeah, with yeah. Other titles, so. I remember that. That was quite quite significant, even if after it was such a shocking result. And I've mm-hmm. seen Sami Zayn as well post him at the top of the ladder with the two titles when feuding with AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy. I think that was his sort of mini mm-hmm. tribute to him. Yeah, totally. It's quite interesting now that we're in a weekend, we are going to have a ladder match in NXT for a title. Because uh, so I think when it comes yeah. to like mid-card titles and ladder matches, a lot of us do think of, of Razor and Sean. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a... I've seen somewhere online, I think it was a fan comment somewhere that saying that, you know how over a certain series of WrestleManias, the Intercontinental title was always defended in a ladder match? Like, they should rename it, like, I, I've, the, this person said uh, they should rename it the the Razor Ramon Memorial Intercontinental Championship ladder match and make it like a an annual tradition, kind of like you know what the Money in the Bank was before it became its own pay per view. I could see that happening definitely because you know he and well, there's a lot of things in wrestling that have been copied over the years, and he and Sean you know really started the whole one champion comes back says I never lost a belt and then fighting over two belts thing like. Even happened as recently as in AEW with Sammy and Cody over the TNT title. Mm-hmm. So, hey, well, you know, there's a lot uh, more we could say about Scott Hall and the impact he, he left. Uh, before we move on, though, I do still think it's funny how successful this character was when Scott Hall basically got the idea of it from watching the film Scarface. And we're basically looking mm. at that Vince doesn't watch much pop culture, so didn't really realize what it was. Next thing you know, we could have um, somebody coming out. I mean, who knows? Uh, you could tell he's already watched Peaky Blinders, though. That, but well, I imagine <laughs> we'll get to that. I don't think he watches any of these shows. I think it's just people in the office have watched it and mentioned it. Like, yeah. whenever Triple H kept coming out on these, like, he's made entrances the last few years. There's always basically, what new thing has he got the box set for? Like, oh, he's watched Sons of Anarchy, so now we'll have two years in a row with uh, motorcycles or. There's this weird desert car thing. Oh, Vince, uh, Triple H clearly just got the DVD of, uh, or the Blu-ray of Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think other people watching stuff and Vince just sees it and hears about it like secondhand. Uh, yeah, like, definitely. I never realised just how much of it was influenced by it because I, I watched Scarface only a couple of years ago. A bit overrated in my opinion, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I imagine there'll be a few people on the podcast who will be literally screaming at their whatever device they're listening on right now. Ah, fuck it. It's too long as well. There's so many people who have Scarface posers and, like, as if he's maybe a hero. He's not. He suffers a very horrible fate in that movie. 
spoilers. spoilers. It's been out for like thirty years at this point, at least. Hmm. But like, you never, I never really noticed how much of it was he took from it until like watching certain scenes. Or even there's a scene where he's shouting at a group of people and goes, "You want to look at someone like me and say that's the bad guy?" Like, okay, well, he literally took from that scene, didn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. We'll, we'll move on from that before I offend anybody else's uh, movie taste. We'll, move away. we'll come back to Scott Hall uh, towards the end of the show. But we do have to talk about something that also isn't uh, so pleasant. Uh, Big E uh, did suffer a very horrible injury on this past week's Smackdown. Uh, the spot, I believe, was he went for his dive to the outside. He was caught by Ridge Hall into, and delivered a, a belly-to-belly overhead suplex on the outside, which is already taking a risk to do that move. But then... Uh, Biggie landed on his head. He had to be stretched out of uh, the arena, and was later confirmed that he he did have a, a broken neck. Although he did say that uh, it was damaged to C1 and C6 vertebrae, which he then later confirmed were fractured, not displaced, which was a good thing. And there was no damage ligament that there was no ligament damage or damage to his spinal cord, which meant there was no need for surgery, which is a positive because. Neck injuries are hard enough without you having, having to add surgery on I know people like Edge have struggled with neck surgeries and things like that. Mm-hmm. Although that does mean that he will be out for quite a while. And, you know, like I said, a neck injury is a hard thing to come back from. So I think it's fair to say maybe at, at most a year until we see Biggie step into a ring again. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. But, you know, I think people, a lot of people will probably be hating on Ridge Holland for you know, botching the move, but apparently there's been no heat on Ridge Holland as a result of that that spot. I mean, I mean, you have to argue it is the nature of the beast. You know, these are the risks you take when you're when you're doing a match, etc. Anything like that could just happen at any time, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy either. Because Biggie has had a really big renaissance uh, year over the last year or so. You know, multiple time Intercontinental Champion, Money in the Bank winner, WWE Champion. He's almost like he was almost put on a pedestal ready to take the next step, but then uh, it's just two big knocks uh, just sort of brings him back down a bit, you know, teaming with Kofi again as part of New Day, and then this happens. It's um, right before WrestleMania as well. It's a a damn shame, but Mm -hmm. like you said, the upside is that, you know, it's, it's two fractures, which isn't great when you say it out loud, but no surgery required, no ligaments damaged and no displacement. But mm. it's going to be a very long road to recovery for sure. And I guess all that can be really, really be said is I just hope he has a very speedy recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's no way of really knowing for sure uh, when he'll be able to come back. Even when he does come back, I think we will see some changes in heavy wrestles like that spear to the outside through the ropes, I believe uh, that'll probably be thrown by the wayside mm-hmm. when he does come back. Uh, yeah, the C1, C6, like, right, right like the top of the, the neck, like going down the spinal cord. So the fact yeah. that obviously, like the fact that they weren't like displaced or anything like that, and given the nature of injury, like the fact that he's, he was able to afford like avoid any paralysis or anything like that, like he said that mm-hmm. right soon after he, he realized he noticed he was able to move like his arms and his fingers. So. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. We've seen it's, those uh, kind of before. Mm-hmm. And a couple of near misses as well. I think the one. Remember when Drew did that inverted Alabama slam to Madcap Moss? 
and we all thought mm-hmm. like he'd suffered an injury like that. But it's it's it, it looked like a similar spot to what happened there. It's just uh, just Biggie didn't get enough spin from that belly to back, and he just landed awkwardly. Same what would happen with Madcap. And Madcap was obviously very lucky not to have got injured from that. But it's um, again, you know, it just comes back to you know these are the risks you take. Sometimes you get away with it, sometimes you don't. And Biggie was the latter in this case. Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, Ridge is a big guy, but also Biggie's not really the kind of guy you can just throw around, so clearly no. wasn't a way to get enough to like, it, get him over. Yeah, his head. He's, a, he's a 20-stone man. Like it, it takes a lot of effort to to fling him, and even if you do, you know, gravity is just going to bring him back down just as quickly. I mean, Madcap, obviously, he's, he's not a small guy, Madcap, but he's a hell of a lot lighter than Big E. Yeah, I think the thing that helped both of them, though, in, in a way is the uh, the fact that they're both like so muscular, like especially around the neck area. Like mm. I remember when Brock uh like landed on his head after the shooting star, it was said oh, afterwards gosh, if his yeah. neck muscles weren't so big he might have like paralyzed himself. So mm. in a way that maybe like helped him. And yeah, I have seen the same report that like, it was Weak Killer talking about it on his show, saying that uh Rich Holland was very apologetic afterwards and it was saying that no like hate was being put on it or any blame was being put on him and the incident was usually going the 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 reaction to the answer was basically a case of, you know, accidents happen, and that is the case, like, there's no, like, other way to really say it. Sometimes things, like, just go wrong, and yeah. Biggie is still, still remaining so upbeat after all this, and I don't mm-hmm. think he's the kind of guy to put really any hate on, on Ridge Holland for what happened. Yeah, it was like um, John Cena and Nakamura back in 2017. I think Naka went for his, uh, his half-Nelson back suplex, and then Cena ended up landing on his head, People were actually angry about Nakamura botching the spot, but then Cena actually had to calm everybody down, and he said, "No, no, it's fine, it's fine. It was an accident." Like, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think that seems like it to be a similar case with what happened with Reg. I mean, if if he was very apologetic and stuff, then it's. Uh, I mean, there's not much else you can really do, but yeah, it's. I think there's just have to be consistency. You know, you know, acknowledge that there's risks, and if these things happen, if someone's really apologetic and the other guy says, "No, no, it's fine, it's fine," it's um. You know, that's just the way it goes, unfortunately. And some sometimes the person can get away without getting hurt. But yeah. I do wonder yeah. if it's I do wonder if it's how Ridge might feel afterwards, you know, because yeah. he might think, Oh gosh, like what have I done? That kind of thing. But because I mean, if that ha- if I if that was me in that position, I'd be I'd be so anxious to like perform another move like that. Yeah, I mean, like, doing that, that kind of spotlight, an overhead move on the outside was dangerous. It was going to come with its risks at the best of times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's a little surprised that this did kind of happen. And, yeah, like, even if, like, no one's blaming, like, how is Ridge going to react to it? Like, it said here, he was very apologetic. It's like D'Lo Byrne, uh, I remember he had the incident with Darren Drozdorf back in the day where Droz yes. became paralysed and... Even though Draws, even while he was on the stretcher, was saying to Dilo, like, it's not your fault. Dilo, apparently for years afterwards, still, like, that weighed heavy on him. Uh, and so it really just it goes to show that even if you're forgiven by the person, like, it's do you forgive yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, even Madcap Moss, apparently, even though it wasn't his fault that he, he took that Alabama slam wrong, he was the one apologising to Drew McIntyre and Vince McMahon, <laughs> apparently backstage. Uh, yeah, it's... I think I think we know we we keep saying it over and over. It's it's just the nature of the beast. That's the risks you take. But I think everybody's professional enough to like um, 
you acknowledge that something went wrong and if they apologize afterwards then there's not much else you can really do yeah yeah absolutely Biggie uh, apparently has already been flown home i think from alabama because also he doesn't need surgery uh, so i think it's a case of you know physical therapy recuperating like however but the doctors like see fit there was there was a report coming out that made some people worry the doctors thinking one particular doctor worrying that biggie might not wrestle again although there have been people who have come back from injuries that doctors said they wouldn't come back from so mm-hmm. you know yeah in the words of jim carrey and uh and dumb and dumber so you're saying there's a chance yep <laughs> i <laughs> let's just be optimistic and hope biggie can make it in ring return but if not you know his personality shines through even if he's reduced to like a manager or a gm role he, he still produces content for up up down down the new day still do their podcasting he'll always have a place in wwe because the new day as a group they sell merch collectively and biggie's personality just shines through in anything he does so i think there'll be a there'll be a spot for him regardless of whether or not he can or can't compete you know spots for biggie though uh, shortly a few days after this injury a live event xavier woods made his return so whoop, we're kind of rolled again with seeing all three New Day members back together because apparently uh, the plan was for a New Day for the New Day to be together at WrestleMania in a six-man tag against Red Hall and Sheamus and a man who debuted Pete Dunn, Pete Dunn, Pete Dunn, Pete Dunn, Pete Dunn, <laughs> Pete Dunn or uh, as Sheamus and Red Hall would know him now, Butch, Butch, yeah, fucking He's been called Butch. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand they did they did apparently make reference to that some people may know him by another name but they say we've always known him as Butch so they present this as maybe like he was Pete Dunne but we nicknamed him Butch so today so now that he's teamed with us he's going to be called Butch so that does mean that there's the door slightly open for when he eventually breaks away from them to be called Pete Dunne again and hopefully he doesn't choose to I'm going to stick with this name like that daft day do drop decided to do. Like, what is with WWE and their stupid name changing? It's this, I mean, just when you thought when Dewdrop and Gunther was bad enough, they go out and throw out Butch. Like, this is the Butcher way Pete Dunn. Pete Butch Dunn. It just doesn't make any sense. And just because he now goes around wearing a flat cap and a and a wife beater it's just because you know somebody somewhere in the wwe creative team watched peaky blinders vince got an ear and got an earful of it and now they're just trying to replicate that pathetic attempt of pop culture on arguably one of wwe's most talented guys to be fair though there was an element of peaky blinders and british strong styles gimmick in progress although to your point though it was never as on the nose as this uh, at least, yeah, at least at least it makes sense for him to do a Peaky Blinders thing as Peaky Blinders is maybe set in Birmingham where he's from. Yeah, this is why original NXT and NXT UK by extension is better at uh, portraying characters, even because they're not right in your face. They're just they make the characters themselves, but with a subtle hint towards these pop culture references. You know, as you said, British Strong Style sort of adopted the Peaky Blinders, but you wouldn't know it straight away. Like, you would just know Tyler Bate and Trent Seven as Mustache Mountain, the the competitors, not the two guys that look like they fell out of, you know, the last season of Peaky Blinders or whatnot. But, and it's like, 
it's kind of like you know adam cole coming out at revolution wearing the master chief halo armor like if you weren't a video gamer you probably wouldn't know what that was referring to but it's it's catered to a specific audience you know and they'll pick up little subtle things here and there that you that the the lay person might not recognize and i think that's the best way to tell characters you don't just go go out there and just say we're gonna put the the second longest nxt uk champion in history we're gonna put give him a flat cap give him a wife beater and we're gonna call him butch because he's a just because he's from birmingham and he has that that Britam brawler style. <laughs> I mean, I did. I, I remember it was weird when Dunn and Ridge Holland were like a team in NXT, and then they just took Ridge up before Pete Dunn, and then suddenly they put them back together. So I don't know why they didn't call the two of them up together when uh, uh, Ridge got called up. And yeah, Butch, they been named after the bloody the dog from Tom and Jerry. That's what. That's all. No, no, really the, the dog. No, the, the the dog. It, the dog was Spike. It, Butch was the black cat. Tom's friend. Huh. Well, still, he's he named after a Tom and Jerry character because that's probably <laughs> the most up to date, relevant pop culture thing that Vince McMahon has ever watched in the last ten years. <laughs> Having said that, of, there was a new movie. There was a new movie that came out like two years ago. I, is it kind of sad that I actually still know Tom and Jerry characters after all this time? Maybe I'm just giving away my age here. I mean, I knew there was a book, I just assumed it was the dog for some reason. <laughs> ah, well, never assume these sorts of things. Oh, yeah, no, go on, no, no, wait, you, you know what? If someone in the creative team hears this, they're going to bring up, um, they'll bring in another sort of uh, British wrestler, maybe someone, if they bring someone over from NXT UK, they're going to call them Spike, aren't they? <laughs> Next week, Gal's debut on SmackDown is Tom, Jerry and Spike. <laughs> Oh, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> oh, can you which, which one of them is which? Comment below. Uh, well, I'd right. say Tom and Jerry are coffee, uh, Mark and Wolfie. Yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're, they're the tag team. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, I don't know where, how we, we get away from this, but yeah, Pete Dunn's got a name change and it's a bit silly. That's all <laughs> we can bit, really Just a bit, say, yeah. It. I look forward to going back and watching uh, Eric the Takeover in New York when Gunther defeated Butch. <laughs> it just sounds so awful when you say it out loud. Uh, we'll move on then to another story before Dave breaks down any tears. I didn't put this in the notes, but I meant to because this is just stupid that people at WWE have done this. So I don't know if you've seen this, Dave, but some people have, uh, I mean, people give WWE shit for a lot of things, but this is something more recently they've done, where they were putting out uh, an ad to get people to come and sell merch or help out with WWE Access this year at the Superstore. And what they were, what people were annoyed about was they was going to go from, they wanted people there from the 31st, which would be the Thursday up until the Monday after for the Raw. And the... WWE put it as volunteers must be over 18. So WWE were hiring people who they weren't going to pay to mm. come work at their WrestleMania superstar from Thursday through to the Monday. And they said, in return, volunteers would receive a WrestleMania hat, a WrestleMania superstar access t-shirt, not just a, a random superstar t-shirt or, hey, choose a t-shirt and we'll give you a fee. No, have a superstar access t-shirt, you know, the thing that you worked at without any money. 
and then would be entered into a raffle for and where the winner would get free Monday Night Raw tickets. So you wouldn't get Raw <laughs> tickets as a result of this. You may you'd be entered the raffle for the chance to win Raw tickets. In exchange, yeah, please come and work and sell our merch from Thursday through to Monday, probably working very long hours given how busy uh, access is going to be. Also said, helping to assist in flops and gre- greeting convention goers and prop handling. So you want to get an ex- expensive prop probably to relate to do some like The Undertaker or some legend that you want people to take photos of. And let's put it in the hands of somebody you're not paying. I mean, you can't make it up. Like, if you're asked to volunteer something, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say no to volunteering at like the something WrestleMania related, which would be great. But I'd only do it if it was like a day's worth of stuff. Maybe, you know, just make it like a traditional working day, you know, just help people out. But if you're doing it for that length of time, for God's sake, you've got to be paid for that in some capacity. But instead, they're just offer, offering them cheap incentives, you know, like enter a draw for raw tickets and some some merch as well no no give them give them money and stuff like pay them for god's sake and then they can and who knows maybe they'll go spend on AEW merch instead but maybe they just want to um it is a bit of a cop-out if i'm being honest and i i i only briefly saw this story so i don't really know the full extent of what they're trying to do but i heard it's already received a lot of negativity uh, as a result Without it's just a generic WrestleMania hat and a Superstore Access t-shirt that they're going to be given. Clearly it makes you think that they produced a lot of merch and t-shirts for this show and then realised after the fact, hmm, these Superstore and Mania hat and t-shirts are probably going to sell that much. Fuck it, we'll just give them to the volunteers. <laughs> and then, yeah, the fact the Raw thing, I mean, yeah, I know it's the Raw to WrestleMania, but I don't think Raw is the most go-to of all, your, all the wrestling shows going on yeah. right now, so... You know, maybe giving some people, some more people free tickets wouldn't be the worst thing. And hell, give them tickets to WrestleMania because you know you've got two nights to fill an over hundred thousand seater venue. So and it's not, well, apparently it's not even sold out. Yeah, I mean, even after announcing Austin for a segment isn't isn't going to help it sell out. I mean, mm. so you get a thousand or so volunteers. There you go. There's a thousand seats for both nights of Mania. There's at least one section you don't have to taper off. Yeah. They put all their eggs in one basket with Lesnar Roman and it's still not captivating the entire audience. You know, when the rest of the undercard is just completely overshadowed by this winner takes all match. Yeah, very much. I, I was listening to other people like talking about other podcasts kind of talking about it, and obviously part of the reason that people are complaining about it is because WWE takes any opportunity it can to boast to its investors about how much profit they're making. And in one podcast I was into, they pointed out that apparently the the minimum wage for the state of Texas, where the meeting is being held in, is seven dollars twenty five an hour. My You're God. making money hand over fist. You're getting millions and millions per show from the Saudi government. You're making multi million dollar TV deals, and apparently when those deals come up, it's expected that they'll get more money from them. And you can't spare seven dollars twenty five an hour. For a group of volunteers over like less than a week. What was it? Seven dollars twenty-five. Seven dollars twenty-five for uh, like four or five days of work. Yeah, I'm trying to do a quick currency conversion here. Uh, it is. Hold on a second. So seven twenty-five, and it's about three quarters to the. Jeez, oh, five pound forty-four. 
that's how much <laughs> that's yeah five pound 44 for for doing that particular for for the minimum wage in texas thank you for the numbers goodwill hockney <laughs> yeah well that's this is one of the stats guy don't know about yeah like like resume not being sold out maybe it's not it wouldn't it's maybe it's not helped by the fact that across both nights there's like Five matches confirmed for night one and five for night two with a with a match also including with RK Bro defend the tag titles set to happen, but they haven't announced what night it's gonna be on. So eleven matches or so across two days with a with a corner report several more still to be announced and are what three weeks away. You know, mm-hmm. Cody is rumored to be still planned for Mania. They want him to fight Seth Rollins, is what I've heard, but mm-hmm. even then they've still not debuted Cody, at least not appeared. I don't know if it's still an issue over money or anything, but like he just had Raw in Jacksonville and he yeah. didn't show up. And you need to be, you need to take this with a massive pinch of salt as well. But uh, everyone's favorite Uncle Meltzer has actually confirmed that it's happening. But I will, I will believe that until Cody appears on screen. But then again, there have commentary on Raw has been dropping a lot of subtle hints lately about how Seth Rollins' WrestleMania match hopes have been dashed. Uh, I don't know if there was any reference to like the sort of his AEW persona at all, but definitely quite a few mentions of dashing or dashed, etc. I'm just waiting for somebody to cheek in and to say, that's a really shit tash you've got there or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the reason Cody's still uh, on TV. He said, I'm not coming back on on TV until I can grow that moustache again. And it's taking <laughs> and, him longer than he's realised because he's not and, trying to do it in a while. And please don't, uh, please don't put him in a, please don't cover him in gold paint and span and uh, spandex jumpsuit either, with, with a little star on his face. I mean, another conspiracy theory is that Vince has made him go to a clinic to get that tattoo lasered off and won't let him appear on TV until he gets it removed. <laughs> I mean, the tattoo is horrific. Well, I mean, the tattoo itself is fine. It's just the placement of it is horrific. You know, who the fuck wants a tattoo on their neck? I mean, I I know tattoos hurt, but like on your neck of all places. Put it on your shoulder or put it on your your back or something. Don't put it at an awkward angle on your neck. Oh, I just, I can't look at them the same way anymore. Let's talk about WrestleMania first. Now, let's look at the matches that are confirmed right now. So night one, you got what's meant to be the main event, Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's title. You've got Becky Lynch v. Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's title. Ray and Dominic Mysterio will take on The Miz and Logan Paul. That's a sentence I'm actually saying out loud. Uh, Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin with Reddit Moss, uh, or Hatmaker Moss, staying very far away from the ring so he doesn't get dropped on his head again. <laughs> and the most recently confirmed match is the Usos will now defend the SmackDown tag team titles against Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs. Uh, on night two the main event is obviously the winner take all match between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns Queen's Lena and Carmella the women's tag team champions yes I forgot they were a thing either uh, <laughs> will defend their titles against Sasha Banks and Naomi and Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan the rumours are that a four team at some point will be added according to Meltzer one half of the team will supposedly be Natalia we don't know who our partner is going to be if that even does go ahead well, uh, Johnny Knoxville she did team with Shayna Baszler on the last SmackDown. Maybe maybe she'll team with Shayna. At this point, it doesn't really matter who they get because, like, they, 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 on a couple of tag team works, and then you've got a division that's got mostly other tag teams. The women's tag division on the main roster is made up of just uh, 
odd ball teams. So you could mm. put anybody with Natalia I mean, and it's probably like, all right. For God's sake, just do the bloody women's battle royal again if you need to get everybody on the card. Don't overcram the women's tag title match. You know, try and build a feud around just two tag teams. You know, keep it to Sasha and Naomi or keep it to Rhea and Liv. Just don't overcram it when it's going to be a bit of a train wreck of a match to be, to begin with. And then we also got Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn, Pat McAfee beat Austin Theory, and Edge versus AJ Styles. And of course, Randy Orton and Riddle will defend the tag team titles. We don't know what night yet. The word is that it's going to be another triple threat match with the Alpha Academy, and this time the third team is said to be the Street Profits. Now, uh, like I said, Meltzer has said that Rollins v. Cody is part of the plan still. A few days ago, he, he did talk about a few matches that were set to be announced for the show. One included uh, Italia being added to the women's tag titles with an undetermined partner. He did report a few days ago before it got made official that Boots and Nakamura would be challenging the Usos, so it did happen. And he's also said that uh, a rematch between Damian Priest and Finn Balor is on the cards for Mania for the US title. But he did also say there was no clear plan for Ricochet at the minute. Again, this is a perfect opportunity to introduce the Razor Ramon Memorial Intercontinental title ladder match. But then again, NXT Standard Deliver is doing a North American title ladder match. So I don't know if it's... Yeah. Uh, it, may, it may be a bit crammed with ladder matches, but who cares? I mean, a ladder match is like my favourite stipulation. I'd be all for it. And they do two ladder matches at Money in the Bank anyway, so why not do two yeah. ladder matches for Mania? Who knows? I mean... You had some one or two perfect opponents for that ladder match, but they've recently been like, oh, I think, and like Cesaro now, I'd love to see him in there. Uh, I've seen some people who say that if Rollins doesn't go into the, uh, get the match with Cody, because they are trying to scramble to see if they can get a backup for Seth if he doesn't get that match. But I've seen some people say, just move Seth over a SmackDown and let him challenge Ricochet. Because at that point, it doesn't really matter what brand either guy's on, just having that match with Seth and Ricochet, I think, people would take that for the IC title. Mm. And if Ricochet could get a win over Rollins, I mean, that's a big stock riser for him, given that, you know, there were reports that Ricochet is rumoured to be the number two babyface on SmackDown going forward, Drew obviously being number one. Uh, but yeah, if they were going to push Ricochet into a more prominent face-type role, given that, you know, he was treated like dirt for the last year and a half, I mean, he needs a, a WrestleMania win under his belt if he's going to be pushed forward. I think Woods uh, and Kofi probably will face like Sheamus and Ridge at this point uh, instead of the sixth man and they'll have Boots or Dunn, whatever you want to call them, on the outside kind of mm. as like, like the enforcer for the bad guys. So they'll probably just change that up. Is it weird that the match I'm, uh, whose build I've enjoyed most is probably Knoxville v Sami Zayn, especially after Knoxville went on TMZ and had a plane fly around with Sami Zayn's phone number on it. And I mean, Sami has been tweeting updates of just how much this has yeah. been annoying over the last five. He said, I had this number for over 10 years. I'm not changing it. If I change it, Knoxville wins. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, it was it's only a stunt that you'll be pulled off by a jackass member. <laughs> and, you know, watching Sami Zayn's, uh, you know, posts about you know the number of calls and facetimes he gets it is actually pretty funny to see but i just don't see this match being worthy of a place on the wrestlemania card like i'm sorry i mean the feud is great but is it wrestlemania worthy though 
I don't know. I, I'm a little conflicted because I suppose you do need a bit of a, you do need a celebrity angle in some capacity for many of these days. But last, but look at what it is just now compared to last year. Like Bad Bunny stole the show last year because nobody expected him to perform as well as he did, and he even got a spot in the in the Rumble this year. But then again, so did Johnny Knoxville. But we've we've only seen him like do sort of promo segments on. Raw, etc. But that was over like ten years ago. It was. I have a feeling this is going to be a more of a. It's going to be like a cinematic match in front of a live crowd because he could easily just get the Jackass crew involved, and it, they may make a no disqualification match as well, just so that you know they can get away with stuff and not have to worry about you know getting DQ'd, etc. Yeah, I, I think they just need to they, they need to tread carefully with how they book this because. They need to protect Knoxville in such a way that, you know, he can at least have a fighting chance. But at the same time, you know, they need to make Sami Zayn, you know, look like he's finally getting his revenge on him. Yeah, I mean, it was weird that, you know, he's got like the celebrity match technically two years in a row because I know it was MV ones last year, but then, you yeah, know, Logan Paul out in the, in the outside of the ring and then he like, took the stunner. And so I think he knows. Like his role, like does Logan Paul, because also he's probably gonna like come in, take a couple of bits into Dom and Ray, and then probably and yeah, take a six one nine or whatever at the end, like he did the stunner at the end of the own same match. So I think he knows what he his role there. And I'm also weirdly looking forward to McAvee v Theory because you know we saw what Pat did in the War Games match, mm-hmm. uh, and also the fact that you know Vince, despite how old he is, he's gonna try and get involved and why like get physical. And I want to see if he can get into the ring this time at Mania without tearing his quads. <laughs> uh, see, Pat McAfee Austin theory does make quite make a bit of sense, you know, given Theory's angle with Vince, etc. But again, this isn't screaming a WrestleMania match for me. This looks like something you'd stick on at best SummerSlam and at worst probably, I don't know, capital punishment or stomping ground one of those forgotten b pay-per-views or something it's it's not a wrestlemania match i'm sorry it's i mean as much as let's see pat you know do another surprise everyone in-ring performance it's there's no major reason for me to want to watch this it's same with the you know the Mysterios and Miz and Logan Paul. Just because it's a celebrity angle doesn't mean I want to watch it. Well, I think it's just a case of like they're trying to encourage the casual fan as much as possible, mainly because they've got a lot of seats to fill for WrestleMania and still a lot more matches to be announced for both nights. Uh, but speaking of match announcements, last night after last night's NXT, you've got a clear picture of the card for NXT Stand and Deliver. Which happens during the, the the day, like 12 p.m. I think, U.S. time, which means about 5 p.m. Uh, U.K. time. Uh, yeah, on the same day as Mania Night One. So we've got a clearer picture of what the card's going to look like. I'll read out to you now. Carmelo Hayes, as we mentioned, is defending the NXT North American title in a ladder match. Last night, Santos Escobar uh, earned his spot in the match by defeating Cameron Grimes, and then there's two qualifying matches next week. So it's Carmelo Hayes, Santos Escobar. They said there's going to be four, you know, a mystery fourth person. And the winners of these two qualifying matches of Grayson Waller versus A-Kid and Roderick Strong v. Solo Sokoa. 
Uh, sorry, I don't know why it's made me laugh here. Tony D'Angelo, who I, I really, I know I shouldn't, but I love Tony D'Angelo. I know I shouldn't, but, you know, I love him. It's going to take on Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, Mandy Rose is going to defend her NXT Women's Championship against Cora Jade. Uh, Imperium are going to defend the NXT tag titles and a triple threat against the Creed Brothers and MSK. It's currently being advertised as Toxic Attraction, defend the women's titles against the mystery opponents. So I'm assuming that like, a week or so before the show, they'll have the finals of the women's Dusty Cup and the winners yeah. will go and face Toxic Attraction. It's currently Wendy Chu and Dakota Kai versus EO and Kaylee Ray. And I think Wendy Chu's gimmick is very yeah. funny, but for several reasons. Some of them draft related. If she can, if she beats Kaylee Ray, she's going to be very angry. Yeah. And, no, I, and your I, I main event. See, I can't see anybody other than Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai winning the Women's Dusty Cup. And your main event. What can possibly cap off such a glorious night of wrestling? Why? Dolph Ziggler defending the Dolph NXT Championship. Ziggler. <laughs> defending the NXT Championship against Braun Breaker. And I know he's on your drafting as Braun Breaker, Dave, but I've seen a report saying that people, a few names, him included, are basically seen as main roster bound. So uh, mm. I think another loss for Mr. Breaker and then a, a roll after me, a call-up for him. It would not surprise me at this stage. So uh, Gary, if you're out there and you're listening to this, uh, I think we need to have a meeting to discuss a potential captaincy change uh, ahead of WrestleMania. So give me a, drop me a message when you get this message. Okay. <laughs> we need to talk about Braun. <laughs> we need to talk about Braun. So this card could be overall, well, actually overall it could be great or it could just be the worst. Like it could go either way because like there is some potential. You got a ladder match, you got a triple threat tag match. You know, Corda Jade is really good, and Magic Rose in this current role is very good. This mm. like either either team would be very interesting to go after the women's tag titles. I just want to see what happens if when Don <laughs> D'Angelo is in the ring with Tommaso Ciampa. I just want to see them battle each other. You know what? As it's it doesn't scream like well, it's not as great as a takeover card, but at the same time it is NXT, and sometimes they can really well, for lack of a better phrase, stand and deliver. So <laughs> I actually think this card is more appealing than WrestleMania itself. Maybe that's just me being NXT biased, but and I know I've complained about you know the the rainbow rebranding of 2.0 etc. But you still get some really good quality performers on there. You know, you've got Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray, uh, Braun Breaker, Carmelo Hayes. All these people are making NXT what it is today. And don't underestimate NXT's tag team division as well, because Imperium can pull off belters of matches. MSK can pull off a belter of a match. And the Creed brothers are slowly sort of morphing into their own a little bit. So I... I'm optimistic about this this card. There's definitely a lot of room for, you know, growth, maybe passing the torch. But also I think match quality is going to be up there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, given like some of the matches we just talked about for WrestleMania, I mean, I agree with you. Like they put all their eggs in like some of the, the top matches, like the winner takes all and the two women's title matches and like stuff like that. But some of the mm-hmm. undercard at the minute when you're looking at it does doesn't automatically scream what you'd expect for WrestleMania. Mm. Uh, but then looking at this, like, I'm very interested to see what this card does and like what NXT 
looks like after this, I actually think they could put the women's title on Cora Jade, uh, the tag title match. I think the whole thing is that uh, Creed Brothers were attacked before they could get their, their rightful title show after they winning the Dusty Cup. And they've been interrogating all these teams, oh, who could have taken us out? They want you to think it's Imperium, but I think there's yeah, going to be a swerve. MSK win and turn heel and like swerve. It was us. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty obvious that, well, not obvious per se, because, you know, NXT is quite good at whodunits. But the big red flag is MSK. Because, I mean, they've kind of lost their way a little bit ever since they lost the titles. I think a character change would do them good. You know, you know, if the Creed brothers were the ones who beat MSK in the final to get the opportunity, it only makes sense for them to be the ones to take them out. And then they're the ones that get involved with Imperium, etc. Yeah, it's it's clearly going to be MSK with the ones that attack them. I think, I think you meant to say that NXT is very good at a, who has done this, as Captain oh. Holt would say. Oh, I see, right. <laughs> yeah. For the Brooklyn Nine-Nine listeners out there. Anyhow, moving over from NXT over to AEW, uh, a big thing happened. It was a big dynamite last week, and we got another big dynamite coming up. Uh, this week, obviously, wrestling Chris recorded last week before uh, Dynamite. Uh, so we'll talk about what happened last week and preview what's happening this uh, tonight at Dynamite recording. It's the St. Patrick's Day Slam. Uh, last week, we had a new TNT champion crowned. And we'll talk more about him when he talks about his title defense for St. Patrick's Day Slam. But a big, the other big thing that happened on last week's uh, Dynamite was the debut of Jeff Hardy. The obviously it went down on the 9th of March, the last Dynamite, which was the day that Jeff Hardy's non-compete was officially up. Although there was might talk that maybe he wouldn't officially be able to appear or sign until the 10th, but no, he appears towards the end of the show to help save Matt Hardy and Darby Allen's thing from a beatdown. But of course, he has to get his stuff in there. He had to do a quick dance, and then, <laughs> and then rush down to the ring. So many memes uh, have come out of that. It's like I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker has just started dancing on the stairs, like your brother's in trouble. But he's just dancing like that. And uh, I think there was one. I think he was doing the the Teddy Long dance as well. Like that meme was coming <laughs> up. You know, Matt Hardy gets attacked. Jeff Hardy, holla holla holla. <laughs> There's a meme out oh. there like somebody sweating while looking at two buttons and like they've got one there. one button says save brother, other button says dance. <laughs> yeah, that one about the, the sweating choose the buttons meme yet. So yeah, and uh, also they got the uh, the old Hardy theme. I believe the theme originally came from like a an old music library that was like royalty free, so like the yeah. WWE don't own it, which means the Hardys get to use their old music. They're, they're back together in the tag division it looks like so I think at some point in the next year the Hardys are at least going to get go for those those tag belts and you know I think it's just very exciting to see this you know Jeff will get to do more than what he was doing towards the end of his WWE run and as much as Matt's try with the big money Matt in the Hardy family office a lot of it just died on its arse for me so I think mm. it's the best for both of them right now to have one more go as the Hardys Aye and it's uh if Andrade's sort of leading the charge in the uh, in the sort of office stable, I mean, that gives him purpose now. You know, he's not getting overshadowed by Matt Hardy, etc. You know, the Hardys reuniting, I'm all for it. And, you know, I hope the, the sort of office stable doesn't fall by the wayside as a result, because everybody's talking about the Hardys now. But, 
Yeah, I think we we anticipated Jeff was going to show up in AEW at some point. We just didn't know when and in what capacity. Like me and Ross were saying a few weeks ago that what if he's the surprise entrant in the face of the Revolution ladder match? So I mean, because it mean if anybody knows about ladder matches, it's the Hardy Boys. But you know this this works too, and I like that they've retained that their old theme as well, the the loaded theme, because it's like one of the most iconic tag team songs, uh, and them getting to keep it in AEW, you just immediately recognise it's them when when they come out to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good that they got this theme and not one of the many themes that Jeff's had that he's wrote and sang himself. We can't encourage Jeff to continue thinking he's a good singer. Um, like It's one of those things you can't encourage him anymore. It's, uh, just a shame. it's just a shame we won't be able to listen to No More Words anymore. They're just sort of resorting back to the, the original tag team theme. I know he fought so hard to get it, got it, did nothing while he had it, and then just like, I'm out of here. Uh, but I like, there's so many teams, like tag team wrestling is obviously taking a lot more seriously in places like AEW than it is WWE, so the kind of matches you can see from the Harries going forward, I think the first major match they're going to have is probably against Private Party, because <laughs> while Matt was, was managing them, they were kind of trying to position these guys like the next version of the Hardy Boys. Or like how Matt saw something in them that reminded him of the Hardys. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but there's also the, the obvious one with the Bucks and FTR, Fletcher Bros, and eventually the current champions, you know, Jurassic Express, who are managed by Christian. So now it's interesting that three, what, one half of the original six from the TLC matches are all in AEW. Three mm-hmm. out of the six are in AEW now. Yeah, it's uh, the potential for great matches is all there i mean i just hope private party get a bit more exposure these days because i mean they started off well in AEW. they were putting off they were putting on some stellar matches but now they seem to be sort of you know held back a little bit you know i think if you put them front and center against a team like the hardys then they'll you'll it'll remind people you know what they were truly capable of as a team yeah definitely because like they had that big win over the the bucks and then yep. They were in the mix for the, the tag titles while SCU were the champions. But then shortly after that, like going out of 2020 onwards, they were kind of around, but like, oh, they're sort of there. They're kind of just there, which yeah, is just not there. the best thing to really be, not the really best thing to have in such a, a crowded like company like AEW. But with AEW, we do have St. Patrick's Day Slam, as I said tonight. Uh, maybe the Hardys will be on it, maybe not. But they do have quite a loaded card for tonight. Uh, new TNT champion Scorpio Sky defeating Sammy Guevara uh, last week and he will defend the title against the winner of the Face of the Revolution ladder match Wardlow we're also going to have Hangman Page and Jurassic Express against uh, the not, don't co- against don't uh, call uh, them come the on, come on say it call it call it call it what they are Le- legally they cannot be called the undisputed error it's Adam Cole Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly as a threesome, they are the Undisputed Era. They are not Adam Cole and Red Dragon. Technically, they're called Redragon, but, you know, I'm just going off grammar. But, yeah, I'm going my pages to you and Jurassic Express instead of the Dark Order. Wait, sorry, got... wait, wait, what did you call them? Redragon. Redragon. Yes, no. Because it's a joke, because they're called they call D. Oh, no, I got it wrong. I thought I thought it was Re-Dr. Aegon. <laughs> Yeah, somebody somebody accidentally hit the caps lock on that one. <laughs> uh, we've also got uh, Wheeler Utah and 
uh, Chuck Taylor are the best friends taking on John Moxley and Brian Danielson. Oh, just seeing here going on AEW's uh, uh, Twitter here. They have actually confirmed tonight Private Party versus the Hardys. Awesome. And also, I assume the, it'll be a main event, but the evening will be kept off probably by a steel cage match between Dr. Britt Baker DMV against Thunder Rosa in Thunder's hometown. Could this be the day? And you'll know probably when you hear this, but this is the point of the show where we try and predict something that's probably already happened and either makes us look like geniuses or makes us look like idiots. But Dave, in your opinion tonight, does the you know does the doctor's reign end tonight? I think it just might, because if AEW does anything well, it's being very anti-WWE. And WWE has this very, very bad habit of having a babyface character lose in their hometown in a big match. I think Thunder Rosa, you know, I mean, there there was rumours she was dealing with injuries. So, I mean, they might just roll with that and maybe amplify Britt Baker's stock. But uh, a part of me is telling me that... I think Thunder Rosa might just pull it off and maybe for the next few weeks or so they might just keep her out of the competition then they'll just let her cut promos etc and maybe have Jamie Hayter versus a uh, sort of Mercedes Martinez sort of fill the fill the time but who was it that won the the lights out match last year was it was it Britt Baker no, it was Thunder Rosa that won it, but the whole thing was that it didn't carry because it was unsanctioned and they'll say since Brett's the one that's went on to win the title. Mm. See, I'm wondering if maybe if Rosa does win this one, it could set up a, a third match and maybe Britt Baker wins it back then. Maybe Britt could become the first two-time women's champion. Uh, well, now that I say it out loud, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, especially if Rosa's dealing with an injury, etc. Maybe they'll just play it safe and just keep keep it on Brett. But yeah, I all at the highest possible level, I think this one could go either way. But I'm leaning more towards Thunder Rosa winning. Yeah, me too. I know it might seem weird for like a long title reign like hers, like uh, Brett Baker's, to end on TV, but I think it's a very similar to like the Hangman Kenny situation that a lot of people wanted the match to happen all out. But they held off until full gear because that meant it was a year on from their number one contenders match. And then they've done the thing here where they had the match at Revolution. A lot of people thought it was going to happen there, but they chose to hold off until exactly a year from their last big match that everyone was talking about. And I think it would fit the story to their have Rosa went on the same show. But this time, not only does it count, but she wins the title. Mm. And yeah, you can probably build say, like a rematch around about double or nothing time between the two because that's where Britt won the title originally. Uh, I think as good as Brett has been, like the fact that she's been beating a lot of people and then in the undercard, uh, anyone who's not listened to her is kind of listened to uh, to Jade Cargill. You need to kind of put it on a face now and try and build some new people up in the, the women's division at this point. And, you know, also makes sense with the cage stipulation because the last time I hear was put into a, a big cage match stipulation for the title, I think it was the Bucks and they lost to the, the Lucha mm-hmm. Brothers. So they're going back to the old school the heels now, the heels tried to, you know, have interference in that, but now they're trapped in this cage, and this is where they'll get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Also on the show tonight, we have a, a segment with the newly formed Jericho Appreciation Society, 
But, uh, you know, not, not every crowd can be still. Sometimes you have to have a piss break in the middle. <laughs> uh, oh. It's, I mean, was it with AW and factions as well? They seem to like a good faction, especially with Chris Jericho leading the helm. But I think... I would actually call this a good faction, to be fair. I mean, I like Daniel Garcia. I'm sure he'll be like the breakout of this group. But uh, now you've got Gil Jericho, uh, fucking 2.0, the comedy team, who are not bad, but... You know, it's a bit of a step down in having a tag team in your stable of being the former LAX and now these two. And then you've got Jake Kager who will just always be there because he can't so, be trusted on his own. He's just there, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely looking forward to this because I was hoping if they did like, in the next stadium, if they did another stadium stampede at like double or nothing, it would be maybe again with like Cole and Red Dragon against like, say, the Elite and something a bit serious. But no, they're probably going to get like Eddie, Santana Ortiz and some other faces against these pricks and a comedy match that probably won't even be that funny <laughs> because I love the first team stampede but honestly the second one with the pinnacle being in our circle it dragged on until it stopped being funny mm. maybe that's why they're keeping factions a thing in the AEW just so they can do an annual stadium stampede match or a, another blood and guts match I know Maybe just do it without the inner circle this time, you know, mm. let, or without a Jer- Jericho like group. Like, let someone else have a go. Oh, Pinnacle's kind of fallen apart, given that Wardlow is sort of on his own and FTR got rid of uh, Tully Blanchard. It's that members of Pinnacle just sort of seem to be doing their own thing a little bit, but they're not collectively on screen as a group these days. I think the Pinnacle's pretty much done now. I think, like, uh, Dillinger, or I think Sean Spears now works for uh, for MJF. Wardlow basically told MJF where he could go, and FDR doing their own thing now. They've kind of got rid of Tully Blanchard. So I think the Pinnacle's pretty much splintered off now. Uh, uh, but their only real purpose, I mean, being together in the first place was the Inner Circle feud. So I've kind of been expecting this since that feud ended. Uh, but like even today, some people think that uh, Scorpio Sky. There's going to be some sort of transitional champion to put it on Wardlow because he's so over. But to those people, I say you're being foolish because there's no way MJF after Amnet Revolution and that promo that Wardlow cut on a uh, on Dynamite, there's no way that MJF's not going to get involved to cost Wardlow the title. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, yeah. like double or nothing, it's going to be MJF v Wardlow. Like, Surely, yeah. It's going to be a very much a Triple H Batista situation here. Um, Wardlow might uh, get put over, possibly. Possibly, you know. I thought they told off on this break up until like, MGF was like the world generally or, or until MGF had a belt. Or because the thing would be interesting if like, uh, Wardlow might get some sort of title out of this feud. But I think maybe they'll have him beat MGF then go after the TNT title. Because I think I was surprised that MJF didn't win the punk feud. That somebody was going to use that to go into the world title because ever since Hagman won the belt, everybody has been saying MJF's going to be the one to win it off. Hmm. Maybe maybe it's just going to be a slow burner. You know, give Hangman, you know, a few big wins under his belt. If maybe he faces somebody else, somebody new at double or nothing, or possibly maybe this is where they start to build the MJF feud. You know, have have a sort of mini feud with Wardlow, and then 
even if he doesn't come out on top of that, he could still weasel in his, his way in, in some capacity because they're usually quite good at getting to do that with the dastardly heels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine he'll batter Sean Spears once or twice on the way there. Hi. Right, while MJF the skate's getting battered this week, okay, John Spears is getting powerbombed. <laughs> then no, John Spears comes back the next week, okay, now you're getting powerbombed, but this time through a table. The only thing I remember about Sean Spears given last week's episode was Chris's reaction to him being 41 years old. Like, <laughs> that alone was, uh, it was chef's kiss. Like, I mean, I mean, to be fair, yeah, I mean, he's looking good for fucking 41. Oh, yeah, yeah. He looks brilliant. Like, people still think I'm, like, early 20s. I think it's those genes that that Spears has got. It goes a long way to explain why he, how he got married to one half of the influence. I don't know if it's inspiration. Uh, but moving on to a couple other stories here. we got, there's said to be some, uh, you know, unsureness. A lot of staff are backstage at Ring of Honor. A lot of production people are, you know, behind the scenes are said to be unsure about their status uh, job-wise. Uh, after the purchase of Ring of Honor by Tony Khan, there are thoughts that maybe Tony Khan might want to bring in some of his own people to work backstage at Ring of Honor. Some people are basically being told to, like, well, there's no really guarantees of who's going to stick around, and some people have been already put in for transfers to other departments in uh, Sinclair Broadcasting. And there's also said that a lot of the creative plans uh, are going to be changed for Supercard of Honor Mania Weekend. The only match that's still apparently going to go ahead is the winner-take-all world title match uh, between Jonathan Gresham and Bandido with certain matches that were planned, like the Briscoes via an unnamed opponent, which was rumoured to be FTR, said to be in question. So I think it's fair I think it's fair for like the people in Ring of Honor to be unsure about what's going to go on. I mean, I think a lot of the wrestlers... Will still get booked on Ring of Honor shows, and maybe there'll be some crossover to AEW. But if you're mm-hmm. like a behind-the-scenes guy, Elliot, or you work in production, I think there's a point where you realise you could very easily be like replaced. Yeah, it's it's just the case with any any corporate takeover. You know, there's going to be some teething problems, and you know, the person that's bought out the company has the right to, uh, you know, make changes as as they see fit. But you have to consider, you know, there's been people at Ring of Honor there for years and, you know, doing them out of a job isn't going to isn't gonna do any favours for Tony Khan. I think the best, the best approach they can really do is probably a hybrid approach. You know, as long as you give people, or most of the people at least, some comfort that their job is safe, it would be fine. But it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if they had to make a few a few cutbacks as a result because it's um I think it's just the way that takeovers work. You know, some places get revised, some areas get cut, and people's jobs will be affected as a result. But I suppose if the people themselves are able to find a place in the sort of AEW Ring of Honor hybrid role. I mean that's all that's all you can really do, but it's it's just business and the way it works when someone buys someone else out. I've been in that position a few times, but luckily it's it's not affected me at all. So I suppose you can at least ponder the idea that people's jobs might be at risk. But so it, I suppose it makes sense why there's a little bit of worry and uncertainty behind it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, a lot of the creative plans, like I said, being thrown into doubt. 
with the like I said, the rumours of like Briscoe's potentially finally getting that match with FTR that was first teamed back at final battle. And the Briscoes have been wanting the match. FTR apparently want the match. Although apparently if it does happen, it will happen maybe in Ring of Honor, not AEW. And mm-hmm. there's said to be some people within like TNT or Warner Media who don't want the Briscoes on AEW TV given uh, past comments, uh, past homophobic comments made by Jay Briscoe, comments mm-hmm. that he has since apologised for, but still given his track record, there are certain people within yeah, I, you know, TNT who don't want uh, him on their TV programme. Yep. I think it makes sense for them to go a they go a Ring of Honor anyway because they're the ones that showed up in and final uh, final battle the ones who have been going to places like AAA and and places like that. So FTR going over there, especially like the way it's said to work with Ring of Honor potentially becomes sort some sort of developmental for AEW. So having like major AEW names going over there and not mm-hmm. just saying like oh here's somebody we can't put on TV here's here they are in Ring of Honor but actually putting yep. like featured players on Ring of Honor. Kind of goes to show that like how beneficial this relationship can now be. Yeah, just call it Ring of Honor level up. Oh no, wait, that's already been taken. <laughs> oh. Yes, uh, I'm sure there's other C show, C show like jokes to make, but I can't be asked with that. Uh, let's talk about the Hall of Fame, shall we? Sure. Yeah. So we have the Undertaker, we have Vader in this year's class. Uh, and there have been some key like, names rumoured for the Hall of Fame, who I'm going to mention in a second. But with those names being mentioned, that this next announcement was not the one I was expecting. This year's female inductee is Queen Charmel to be inducted by her husband, Booker T. Yeah, like, see, I, I swear this is, this is legit, right? When I first saw this announcement, my initial reaction was, what? Like I was, it was completely out of left field, and because I was fixated on the idea that surely, if anybody, if the female inductee this year, it's either going to be Victoria or possibly even Mickey James. But uh, Charmel was just a name that never even crossed my mind, and yet there she is. Uh, Good for her, I guess, but. No, definitely was not expecting it. Yeah, I mean, me and a good relative for me, so when we did the Bella show, kind of defended the Bella being in the Hall of Fame. I'll even defend people like Tori Wilson being in the Hall of Fame on the women's side, because especially compared to Charmel, because I'm sorry, but yeah, she was a good part of Booker T's at with uh, when he became King Booker, uh, and then she joined him in TNA, where she was one half of one of the worst matches of all time at. Uh, Victory Road 2009, I believe, was one of the famous minus five star matches. Oh, jeez. Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a difference between being memorable and good in the role that you were in and being Hall of Fame level. Like, like you said, yeah, you got Victoria, you got Mickey James, you got Ivory. No, I said Ivory's already in, never mind. Ah, still, yeah, you wouldn't know it because she's not, she's not Miss, fondly talked about as much Miss by Elizabeth Elizabeth as legends. Miss Elizabeth's yeah. not in the Hall of Fame. I know. Like, there are certain legends that you even have in the Hall of Fame that don't even talk about you, we'd forget they are in the Hall of Fame. But yeah, they're still, they haven't, they don't need to scrape the bottom of the barrel for, to find a woman for each year because they need to have a woman each year uh, in the Hall of Fame. But, like, I don't know why Charmel is, is going in of all people. Uh, I can't even, 
Is Sensational Sherry even in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, she is. She was inducted in 2010, I believe, by Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. I was just trying to think, because I remember... Oh, no, 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 my mistake. No, my mistake. No, it wasn't 2010. It was 2006, the same year that Bret Hart and Eddie Guerrero were inducted. The reason I wasn't sure is because I'll say there was a thing with Harlem Heat saying that they thought she should have went in again with them uh, when they were part of Harlem Heat because they were saying, like, oh, it's a sister. She, she was a big part of why Harlem Heat was successful. So I wasn't sure if it was a case of them wanting to induct her, like, mm. like for the first time as part of them or induct her again, make her two time Hall of Famer. Yeah, like, there's was, even people in. She was a standalone talent, uh, not just in WWF, but also WCW. I think. Her solo induction was was well earned. And like, like there's people you know, they're even in China's family that say that China should get like a solo induction, not just by DX. Even that, but no, this year maybe because it's Texas, we've <laughs> gone for Queen Charmel. Yeah, it's, it it doesn't scream like this is. This is our next Hall of Fame inductee. Not everybody's going wow because of this, unfortunately. But all you She's can really because uh, I mean she had the she had that one match at WrestleMania 22 where she was teaming with Booker against the Boogeyman, and I don't think she got. I think it was like the shortest match of the card, and her only involvement was she was going to hit Boogeyman with his with his staff. Ended up getting a a face full of worms for her troubles, and then she ran away. Yeah, so yeah, not exactly the biggest impact at WrestleMania, but she's gonna like stand out like a sore thumb because not only do we already have Taker and Vader, the other names that were rumored so far have been Psycho Sid. So I really want to see him get in. I think he does not get the no, uh, respect yeah. he deserves. I think the character, especially his '96 run, uh, also, and it's probably fitting given uh, one of the, one of these guys' kids is a big part of NXT now. But the rumors are the Steiner brothers. We're gonna go in, mm. which would be interesting for multiple reasons. One, just to see Braun Breaker have to come out and make a, a speech to induct them. Also, the prospect of Scott Steiner coming out to make his speech. I think if Steiner goes in, like Scott Steiner isn't there, I think it's a big reason why they want to pre-record the Hall of Fame again this year. Probably <laughs> cut down whatever he says. So I'd say, like, I know it's still a rumor, but I still say there's like still a good sixty-six and two-third percent chance that Steiner brothers go in. Yeah, they've got about a thirty-three and a third percent chance of not not messing up their speech. <laughs> what do you think of some of these like like these inductees that are rumored? And what do you think of also people like Vader got in? Because like, Vader is another one who maybe didn't get his due in I think Vader, in a weird way, is, is filling that role of guy who is more successful outside of WWE than in, or is more known for his stuff outside of WWE. Because New Japan, WCW, multiple-time world champion. Don't win a single title in WWE. Uh, it's, it's, he's one of those guys, you know, just just by his name alone and his his size as well and how he carried himself in the ring, that was enough impact uh, to like get people to know who Vader was. Uh, but as you said, all this stuff outside of WWE is where he sort of earned his... He earned his dues. But then again, Jushin Thunder Liger only ever competed in one WWE match. He never won a title in WWE, and yet he was inducted largely for his work in New Japan. So it's just because you don't win big in WWE doesn't necessarily mean you won't get in the Hall of Fame as a result. But obviously Vader's impact that he left, it was so well known that you know people 
would know like who he was just by either his name or like maybe the like when his music hit you knew it was him if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> Aye, and just just to recall, he uh, despite what you heard in, uh, on the Attitude Era quiz on our back catalogue, he is not from the Red Light District. I <laughs> uh, forgot about that. But yeah, like, like I said, he's probably fell in a role at some like a lag or even like Sting in the past of like done where like they were in WWE, but they were more known for the stuff elsewhere. Uh, so there's some interesting like candidates for this year's Hall of Fame and. Mm. I'm interested to see who inducts some of these people like Sid. I cannot think of anybody close okay. enough to Sid to induct him. You know, maybe if they want to be if they want to take the biscuit on Anderson and induct them after their history. <laughs> but looking at Vader, there's a number of people I can could do it, but I have a feeling it might be Foley, because they had history in WCW and it was in a match against Vader where Foley famously lost part of his ear. So Foley gets another opportunity to tell that bloody story. Possibly, yeah. But then, don't forget, but is but Vader's getting inducted posthumously though, so it would have yeah. to be yeah. I think there, it would sort of be like a sort of memorial induction, as it yeah. were. Yeah, yeah I, would like, have... I would like I would like to see the Steiner brothers go in though. I think that's been a heavily rumored to be the tag team that goes in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A tag team that get talked about a lot, but like in the they were in the WWE briefly in the nineties. They had a good run there, and then the stuff they did in WCW and everything there. They both got their own stuff like singly as well. I know Scott did more as a singles wrestler, but they've both got their kind of history. Also, I'll say to tie in the fact that I'll say Braun's there and the NXT and he can induct them. Mm. So, we to see uh, who else gets uh, announced in the next couple of weeks. Well, before we go on to our, our reading out some people's memories to Scott Hall, let's look at something that's just completely batshit. <laughs> and that's uh, EC3 and Braun Strowman, or Adam Sher, whatever you want to call them now, the Control Your Narrative group. It's now, it's now coming into this like, full-fledged promotion now, and hiring such... You know, they've got Big Demo on, which is still cool. Then they've got a bunch of people who maybe don't excite people that much right anymore for various reasons. Some people like Karrion Cross, who's out there, or Austin Aries, who, you know may or may not want to get vaccinated. But uh, you got Karrion Cross going out there making promos for Suzuki with some of the worst editing you've ever fucking seen in your life. But now they've put out the rules and regulations of Control Your Narrative because nothing says outlaw promotion like rules. <laughs> rules help control the fun. Let's, there are eight rules I've got here. I'll read them out for you. Yeah, I've got them here Rule as well. one. Number one, you are in control. Number two, you are in control, all caps. Number three, fights end when you tap out, get knocked out, can't stand or quit. Sanctioned matches can end via pinfall. Number four, standard professional wrestling rules apply in sanctioned matches. Chaos ensues in Project Pit. <laughs> Don't know what the Project Pit is. No idea. Number five, no super kicks, no top, top rope oh. suicides, no Canadian destroyers. Number six, the fight isn't with your opponent, it's with yourself. Number seven, the fight will go as long as they have to. Sanction matches hit their times. Uh, at number eight, if you want to hashtag control your narrative, you have to fight. So looking at, the, looking at those rules, the first two, basically, you may as well replace the first two with the first rule of Fight Club, yep. you do not talk about Fight Club. Yep. It's, that's the... 
the immediate the immediate vibe after we the first two rules was Fight Club. I mean, they do they do mention fights a lot here. Like, what they're it's basically just a uh, they're just doing their own version of Fight Club. That's it. Yeah, they're basically like the, the fact that they're having sanctioned matches, but also then these quote unquote fights. But they say they can go as long as they have to. They're like, oh, good! I can't wait to have a see an actual fight between two, like, between Braun Strowman and Killer Cross that goes far longer than it fucking needs to, because neither of them lands on what I stop. <laughs> also, the whole throwing in the whole oh, no super no Canadian destroyers right after Adam Shear made a comment said we're not not a bunch of choreographed goofs or whatever, or basically took shots at the way other people wrestle outside of uh, their little thing. And then, yeah, the fight isn't with your opponent, it's with yourself. So basically, what, do you have people hitting hitting themselves during matches? Why are you hitting yourself? I think it's a, it's a mental battle. I think that's what they're referring to. I know, I know, Dave. I ignored that for community purposes. But, right. Yeah, they, why do they even bother having sanctioned matches? And also, they even put when they, fights, yeah. and also, they keep putting matches and professional wrestling rules in big air quotes like, so are there rules or aren't there? So you're listing these rules, then acting like there aren't technically any rules. Like, but then saying if you show up, you, then you have to fight. Like It was fun the first time you did it when you had like, ECG and Matt Cardone main event and then doing like, like, the occasional like show and then carrying the, the whole gimmick on as part of like, a faction when you went off to do Ring of Water or whatever. But really, this is just the, the definition of a, a niche little idea being run into the fucking ground here. Yeah, they've just over that. They really overestimated how much people are invested by this. Is this is like you know what it actually reminds me of? It's like it's almost like Raw Underground, but cranked up to eleven. Yeah, like if if Shane got got a chance to actually run with Raw Underground for a bit longer, it'd turn into something like this. It would turn into control your narrative. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling that when if this inevitably does not do quite well, ECG is going to be one of those guys, like an indie band who nobody, barely anyone listened to, and like, oh, well, why do you, why do you think you guys didn't get more mainstream attention? Oh, we, and they go fall back and because oh, we weren't technically for the mainstream or whatever. We were for you know the real people, the real people. If you like us, then fine. If you don't like us, well, you don't care. Well, you probably do care because I mean more people would have paid attention to you, but. It's basically going to be that niche thing that it's not meant to be for everybody. They try and act like they don't care that people don't like them, even though what you're doing is fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fair to say, not fans of controlling out of here, and we've talked many a many a point in the group chat of the fact that we're not fans of this. But fair to say, it's a big demo. It's good to see demos getting, you know, bookings again, but he didn't he and Nicky live in the States now, so I suppose he needs to, if he's got his green card, he, he should probably be good to see him start getting bookings elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, that, that mental this is out of the way. Let's go on to something more positive to round out uh, the mm-hmm. show. Uh, I put it onto the community page, you know, in place of, you know, the GOATS question this week, we were going to look back at the uh, the memories of Scott Hall, and we've got a few of them here. Uh, we've got John Isherwood, who was right in there. Saying uh, Brett, his match with Brett at the Rumble '93, obviously the ladder matches, both of them with Shawn Michaels, that's done our sell. 
and uh, his WCW debut. He then put a photo of himself at a live event where he'd seen him as uh, as Razor Ramon from back in the day, joking that he's showing his age a little bit here, but still cool nonetheless. Uh, Alan Lucas changed and saying after you were joining us, would the guy was a the guy was the the guy was a personification of cool, and in my opinion, he should have had at least one run as the world champion, and he had as without world champion as he is without doubt main event status. And then he and John both agree that he's basically one of those guys who is one of the greatest never to hold a world title. Jack mm-hmm. Graham also chimes in saying the WCW debut. Uh, and then David Campbell himself says, got a hold of the guy who, as someone who watched, started watching to the six, I mostly missed out on. However, going back to watch his stuff, particularly as Razor Ramon, clearly he was one of the coolest characters in the ever produced. I've enjoyed reading the tributes and stories that peers have shared about him in the last few days. So yeah, I think the common thing here is it's just like just how cool Scott Hall is. That's the main common denominator mm-hmm. about people's comments about him and how they remember him. Obviously, the WCW stuff and stuff with Sean was obvious. But yeah, the comments here that like he should have won a world title, and I do think it's quite interesting that the three like core members of the NWO, the founding members, he never held a world title, but the other two did. I mean, Hogan the world title, it's hard to fucking separate those two. But like Kevin Nash is like five reigns, four or five reigns as WCW world champion. None of them were entirely memorable other than the first one, and only because he beat Goldberg in controversial fashion and then laid down for Hogan and the finger poke. So mm-hmm. the fact that he never got a Hall never got a shot as a world champion WCW. And also the match with with uh, with Brett at uh, uh, Roman eighty three, like apparently I think it's his only like proper one on one singles opportunity at the world title in WB. Then all he was pretty much I C title guy. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, because, I mean, he had consistent intercontinental title matches at the Royal Rumble quite a lot, particularly against the likes of Goldust, etc. But he always established himself as a top-tier guy, even if it was no further than the intercontinental title in a singles capacity. But he was part of the NWO. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these factions often get remembered just from a number of standout individuals who went on to have very successful individual careers. Scott Hall, I think he may not have had as, as a successful singles run as some of the other guys did, but people still knew who he was because of his association with the NWO. But the one match that does it for me is the, I think some of the guys already mentioned it was the WrestleMania 10 ladder match with Shawn Michaels. Like that's when he really, really came into his own and he established himself as one to watch. Like, seeing him stand at the top of the ladder with both intercontinental titles, I mean, that's still an iconic WrestleMania image, along with the fact that, you know, he he worked his character so brilliantly well, and and he could go in the ring at the same time. I mean, it's it's the formula of of a successful competitor, knowing that he had a, a very recognisable solo run, as well as an association with arguably the most famous faction in all of wrestling. It's That's what I think people will remember him most for. Not that just because he was a really great character as the bad guy, but he was, he was such a, a big influence to a lot of fans and superstars uh, behind the scenes as well. Mm. It didn't seem like we talked about the Rumble. He never competed in a Royal Rumble match. Like, 93, he fought Brett. 94, you defend the IC title against IRS. 
defends it against uh, Jeff Jarrett ninety five and Goldust in ninety six. So what's also weird is that Fake Razor got a, a shot in the Royal Rumble in ninety seven, <laughs> and, and despite never wrestling in the Royal Rumble, he has wrestled and won WCW's equivalent of the Rumble in the World War Three match. Mm-hmm. So there's that weird parallel there, and yeah, I think obviously other than some of the obvious ones, I think. Even if he wasn't going to win the world title, I think at some point he maybe should have won something like a King of the Ring at one point. Because uh, two of his best matches, I think, have come in King of the Ring tournaments. One was an opening round match against uh, Brett in 93, and then he meeting Owen Hart in the finals of the following year's tournament. I thought it was pretty cool. And also some of his uh, IC title stuff, and uh, his match with the 1-2-3 kid as well. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think the, uh, the 95 ladder match with Sean, let's say a good one gets kind of overlooked because of how good the WrestleMania 10 one is, you know, and it's pretty good overall as a match, uh, the WrestleMania 10 WrestleMania, very good overall the SummerSlam one, if you ignore the fact that Sean fails to properly hack, get the, the title unclipped and then throws a massive tantrum about it <laughs> <laughs> like it's almost Eddie Guerrero levels 2005, where the fuck is Vicky? Yeah Gets his like, pre, like peak like Click pre Madonna Shawn Michaels, so uh, that goes to what how he was at that time. But it's nice to hear in people's memories of. I mean, there are some obvious ones in there, but he was a part of some truly iconic moments that will kind of live on. Uh, now, long after you know he's now departed us, and we thank you everybody for you know listening to syndrome. Thank you everybody who commented and shared their mom their memories and their tributes to Razor Ramon Scott Hall. And Dave, thank you for joining me today on a such an intro and you'll help me fill in uh, for Ross on this week. Yeah, no bother. Uh, no quiz, sadly, this week. You know, I've still not had my goal. I'm the only one out of the four reoccurring uh, goals that's not had me. So, first opportunity I can get, even if it's not my week, I'm coming on and I'm getting my bloody quiz. You know, I can't do any worse than Crystal Fizz. <laughs> 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 can't do anything else. I mean, I love you, Chris. You're a great draft partner, but you can't quiz worth a shit. <laughs> yeah, some people have their skills that they're bad at. But in the meantime, you can stay tuned with episodes of East South Central when Ross will be back and everything else going on and the podcast and our little podcast in the world by subscribing to Eats Loot Suicide Retweet on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, or a like or Facebook community page where you can comment on posts like this and get involved in the conversation, get involved in the chat and have your answers sometimes read out on it sort of central. Uh, also like us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Suplex Retreat. Also feature shows coming out every Tuesday. We had one uh, a week or so ago, Big Wrestling What Ifs, uh, which some people took as the, uh, a license to write their own fucking wrestling fan fiction by the sounds of it. Uh, there's a lot to digest in that episode so make sure you've got some time uh, I don't know what's coming up next feature show wise but we do have a massive but we just started sorting the biggest schedule for the next couple of months and as someone who's seen what's coming up uh, and the topics we're going to be talking about it's going to be kind of like app from resume onwards where it's going full pill with shows about the Raw after Mania some classic review lookbacks Hell, we're even bringing back the debating chamber at some point after WrestleMania. So stay tuned with everything going on here in the world of ESSR. And uh, thank you once again to David Talkley, Ivan Scott and we thank you all for listening. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown.
Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.